This is the Austin ISD X podcast, X as in X official or unofficial, while we focus on the issues in the Austin Independent School District. The conversations we have about education are important to everyone. My name is Cuitlahuac Donatiu Guerra Mojarro. I am a brown Mexican immigrant, naturalized U.S. citizen. I have a brilliant partner, and together we have three beautiful children, all under the age of 11, two of which are in school this fall at Pecan Springs Elementary here in our neighborhood in Northeast Austin. I'm also a 14-year classroom teacher and a community advocate against school closures and for the reinvestment in education as a public service accessible to all students. And I'm Candace Hunter. I'm a Black native East Austinite, wife and mom of a sixth grader at Lamar Fine Arts Academy and a senior at Northeast Early College High School. For 23 years, I've been an educator and public school advocate. I've worked exclusively with Eastside Schools since 2007. Today, we're joined by four teachers in the Austin Independent School District who have different stories and different experiences about their return to the classroom. Um, we're gonna let them introduce themselves and tell their stories of how they got to the classroom. Uh, and we're gonna start with Ms. Lori. Go ahead and welcome and introduce yourself. Well, thank you for doing this podcast and thanks for having me. I am Lori Wheeler. I'm a professional educator with a master's degree in curriculum and instruction. I've been a teacher for over 20 years. I started my career in Nevada and came here about halfway through my career. <clears throat> Worked in the East Side Schools in, at Wayne Elementary School for several years as a literacy coach. And honestly, I gave that up even though I'd been working in Title I schools for most of my career because I was just worn out by trying to make change happen. And so I went back into the classroom to Cowan Elementary School in South Austin as a first grade teacher. And I really enjoyed being there. It's an awesome school. And uh, so <clears throat> I have grown children who were educated in Nevada. They're, they are, have followed us to Austin but we're looking forward to having grandchildren and I'm, I'm never going to give up on being an advocate for public education. I love teaching. It's, it is a calling for me. I love going in every day. I'm still excited to go in every day and see those first graders. And I love the challenge and um, problem solving and creative thinking. And I really, um, am devastated to have to give it up at this time. I am retiring slash resigning. It's more of a statement. We were working towards retirement anyway, but um, I am financially able to make that statement to the school district to say I'm retiring. And I was very clear with my principal that I would not be retiring if it were not for the current school district policies. So that's where I am today. All right. Uh, good morning. I'm Carlos Gutierrez. Um, <clears throat> I am a brown native South Austinite, a husband and a father of a third grader who attends Becker Elementary in South Austin. I've been an educator in some form for the last 15 years. I began teaching early childhood centers. Um, and while I worked for my degree um, at St. Edward's University, um, I began teaching AISD and I've worked in Title I schools since the beginning. Um, I was a permanent sub at Reagan, and then um, I got an interview at Martin because the principal at Reagan was the mentor of the um, principal at Martin at the time. And I got hired uh, part-time <laughs> in the middle of the year. 
and it was uh it was definitely an experience um but my main focus now is um I've, I've seen the disadvantages that black and brown students face uh first as a student in aisd and then as a teacher now um i've seen the neglect that campuses face and teachers um face in parts uh in parts of austin that are meant to serve underserved um, areas I try my best to educate my students on the historical implications of years of neglect and focus on the amazing things our people have accomplished in spite of facing these challenges. I believe that it's the responsibility of teachers to be honest and give hope to their students at the same time. Um, the teachers that have been successful, that I've seen successful in the Title I schools, um, do that. They thrive in campuses uh, that I have taught in. The ones that are successful are the ones that um, they're honest, but at the same time, they, they try to motivate their students. And that's what I that's what I try to be for my students. Hi, my name is Leslie Hibbert. Thank you so much for having me. I am a professional educator in my 10th year of teaching. I'm a native Texan, originally born and raised in Houston. I got my degree in business at Texas A&M University, and I actually worked in private industry in IT for seven years before I became a teacher. Um, I changed over to be a teacher and started in private school for two years, but I've been a proud public school teacher for eight years at O'Henry Middle School. So I'm at the middle school level. I love it so much. I love my students so much. I love my coworkers. Um, I'm so proud to be a teacher. I definitely feel like it took me a while to get here, but I am in the right place. Um, recently, I've become very active in um, advocacy for teachers and students. I have become our school's union representative and I have been speaking out and helping my coworkers speak out against the things that are going on in the schools right now. I'm very frustrated and upset and it makes me very sad because this profession I love and this you know, job that I love is is not you know things aren't going the way we want them to be going and things aren't being done well that are good for teachers or good for students and I am trying to be an advocate for change. Hi I'm Bianca San Miguel. Uh, I teach eighth grade science. I was born and raised here in Austin, never lived anywhere else. Um, and I went to schools here. I went to TA Brown, it was my elementary school. I wanted to go to Webb where all my friends were going, but my mom put me in Keeling uh, where those disparities uh, hit really hard for me all of a sudden. I was white passing Latina and I could see very clearly how differently I was being treated than my darker counterparts. Um, so it was a really interesting experience going to Keeling. <clears throat> I then went to McCallum, um, which was a great school. Some of my lifelong friends, I got there. Uh, got kicked out of there, though. And then I went to Hayes High School. Definitely got kicked out of there um, because they were still fighting for the Confederate flag to be used. Um, and, then, and then I graduated a year early. I uh, started a family because I knew better at the age of 17 that I was going to start a family real young. Um, got married, got divorced, and worked my butt off to complete my college degree with Houston Tillotson University and three babies. Um, 
it was not something I would recommend, but it's not impossible either. And now I teach and I love my job. I worked really hard to get in this position. I mean, not a lot of people say I, I worked so hard to become a teacher, <laughs> just to become a teacher. But uh, I love my students, I love my kids, and uh, I love teaching. And they're gonna have to work really hard to get rid of me. They're trying, but it's not gonna work right now. Um, my, we live in Pflugerville, actually. And my son goes to Seal Middle School, and my daughter goes to Pflugerville Elementary. And uh, my middle child passed away last September 20th, um, but she was going to start middle school this year. Um, and so in the midst of continuing to, you know, process our grief as a family, this pandemic hits and school is completely changing and so we just you know hope this is an op opportunity to change things for the better thank you all for being here um i think everybody shared really eloquently um real quickly and real and real succinctly their journey into the classroom and that's where we're our conversation is continuing because we've all as a teacher i'm in the same situation we've all been forced to make a choice and so what i want to hear from y'all is is what did you choose and why? You know, what options were you given? How were you treated by your school? What did you believe is under the control of people making decisions and what is not under the control of people making decisions that affect you? And, and just speak to um, what position you were put in and what, what options you were given and, and how you navigated that situation. Um, so at the beginning of, I guess, well, the end of last year when everything hit, um, everybody immediately was remote. We were lucky because our campus already had integrated technology a bit from the year prior. So our teachers were, were more ready than other campuses. Um, but through the summer, uh, I kept asking when the expectation is we return back to campus, um, what's going to happen if we choose not to? Is that an option? All summer long, couldn't get any answers, of course, because there was, you know, nobody knew what to do. Um, and our principal even went as far as to say, I'm not going to pressure anybody to put their families in an unsafe condition or a situation. And, you know, we're a family, we're going to stick together. I said, okay, that's fine. Um, so that sounds good. But then come October, what was it, 5th, when everybody had to, was expected to return to campus and accommodations were being wait, like backlogged and I said, well, I'm still gonna report to work virtually. And every morning I emailed administration, good morning, I'm reporting to work from home, just heads up. So that first week where people were back on campus, I taught from home um, because if I didn't, my children would have to go back to their home campuses. Uh, and just last week, my son's school reported two positive cases in the same week. Um, and I just was not going to do that. I've already lost a child and to suggest that I <laughs> willingly put them in what I consider a dangerous situation was not going to happen. And so I taught from home that Friday without hearing anything back from them all week. That Friday, I noticed all of my sick days had been put in for me. And I said, I called HR, I called my principal and said, uh, I was not sick. I was working from home. I took attendance, did my lesson plans, taught my students, 
and um, that their response was the expectation is that you report physically to campus. Um, and so I've just maintained my position this whole time that I will not report to campus. Um, our campus does not necessitate that many uh, teachers on campus right now. There are several teachers teaching to empty rooms, um, just being required to be on campus. And I've had coworkers resign because their sick and personal days were taken. And then the next step was gonna be docking pay. Um, and then I had one of my co-teachers was literally interrupted mid-lesson um, and told, cause he was teaching from home, told that he needed to send his students to somebody else's Zoom and put in for a sick day rather than teach his students for free at that point because they had already been taking his, uh, his days as well. So right now we, you know, we keep hearing that administrators have the ability to work with their staff to make something that works for everybody and that just hasn't happened. Um, they, people are being bullied into compliance and um, it's, there's just no way that I'm gonna fall for it just to fall in line for the sake of compliance. Okay, um, I wanted to ask you real quick, Bianca, about your principal. Mm -hmm. has, has your principal have to walk anything back? Your principal stating at the onset that they're gonna do everything they can to support teachers and make them feel safe. Has the, has the principal had to walk anything back and say, sorry, I said that I gotta change policies or at least owned up to having to change any policies? Well, what's interesting is I met with her one-on-one -on -one, um, just as a last attempt to appeal to her you know, side of humanity and said, look, we need you on our side here. We've got your back if you will just join us and not push these policies forward or this, these guidelines forward. And she was basically like, you know, these are the guidelines I've been given by the district. Um, this is the expectation and I'm a rule follower and I'm going to follow the rules and that's my code of ethics. And I was like, okay, that's cool, I guess. Um, but I told her like, history doesn't look fondly on those that say I was just doing my job or I was just doing what they told me to. <laughs> it doesn't work out. Orders. You're right. You're yeah, right. it doesn't work out for you in the long run. And she literally said, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that perception. I was like, okay, well, all right, bye. <laughs> so I tried, but yeah, that was it. There was no walking back anything. It was just basically, these are the rules now and too bad. Um, Leslie, what's been your experience? Well, um, like Bianca, all through the summer, um, I've been I had been worried. I had been speaking out. I've talked to media a little bit um, about my worries about returning in person. I've spoken at school board meetings virtually, and um, I've actually been administering a a Facebook group as well that has over twelve thousand teacher members um, to try and talk about how we could refuse to reopen. And I was really happy when. Austin ISD moved the start date back to after Labor Day and said we would start the first four weeks virtually with a possibility of four more weeks virtually. And um, I'm actually on my campus, a, a tech, our school's tech coach, and I help teachers get all of their tech um, needs set up, not in terms of computers, but in terms of delivering content, like on, on Blend and Canvas, if, if people know what that is. 
And so I've been working so hard since, as we all have, of course, um, since the school year began and since during professional development, I was leading professional development. I felt like I was really trying to show everyone that we can do this, that we can teach these students virtually and deliver quality instruction and be there for them while keeping everyone safe. And, but you know, the things kept moving and it became clear that we were going to have to go back on October 5th and basically a week or maybe two weeks before October 5th, I applied for and luckily did receive a medical accommodation. Um, so I am working from home still and I am working from home without having to have my um, days taken away from me and I feel very lucky and I also feel a, a huge sense of guilt, like a survivor's guilt because I don't feel like I deserve this any more than anyone else. I feel like almost everyone has a reason that they should be home. And I feel like everyone has a reason that if they want to be home, that they should be able to stay home. Um, so I have continued to attend Education Austin meetings and um, talk to all of the teachers and use my position of kind of privilege, if you will, of being at home to speak out for those who, who aren't able to. And um, I, you know, some people, I could say, hey, I'm home, I'm fine, I'm good. But like I said earlier, I love my coworkers and I love my students and I want them to be served well and they are not being and I cannot stand by and, and, and stay silent. So I have been a little bit of a thorn in the side of, of um, my school with uh, bringing things up and, and trying to put forth ideas and trying to put light on things that I feel like are unsafe. Um, and I'm doing all of this from home. Um, and that's kind of where I am right now. Thank you, Leslie. I really appreciate you holding the door open for other teachers. You're right. Once you got your accommodation, you could have simply said, gosh, I hope it works out for everybody else. And so I applaud your advocacy for uh, your fellow laborers. I do have a question. You mentioned, you know, that virtual education and virtual learning can be done well. Uh, I'm in agreement with you, but did you guys receive any sort of concurrent instruction or were you guys left, you know, on your own to say, figure out how to teach, as Creed Lohock says, the rumors and the Zoomers? So in terms of teaching both at the same time, no, we have not. And, you know, we had the three weeks before school started to have a lot of practice training to do virtual school. And I think a lot of teachers, we have, you know, of course some hiccups as everyone did, but I think a lot of teachers really started getting in the swing of things. And that was the other thing that was so incredibly frustrating is that as soon as we are getting our teachers comfortable teaching online, our students comfortable with the schedule, um, everyone is learning, everyone is growing and everyone's getting, becoming successful at this. We're, we, we were asked to change on October 5th and teachers were asked to, at this point, monitor students who are in person. Um, and no, there was no training given about that. There were some conversations, um, but just talking about, oh, you need to make sure that kids have their masks on and you need to make sure that if you can help them with their tech issues, but these teachers are teaching Zoom classes while they're monitoring students. And so the students are not being served well because if they have questions or tech issues, the teachers are in their Zoom class and they can't, they can't help them. And so the students in person are also not being served well. And then the teachers are distracted 
teaching with anxiety and stress, teaching in a mask so their students can't see their faces. I've said that I'm actually able to be a better teacher um, because I am at home and that's not any anyone at school's fault, but I'm able to be boisterous and loud and play music for my students and, and all these things and the teachers at school feel like they have to like, keep, keep it down. Um, and, and that's frustrating. Um, and, but then going forward into November 2nd, when we're actually going to start switching classes and having, like you said, the roomers and the zoomers, students in the room that are in the teacher's class and teaching to them and having to teach to, um, to the students on Zoom concurrently. And there has been no training. We've, um, we do have election day as a professional development day and teachers just uh, last week asked, can we make that a day where we spend practicing or, or learning or getting training? But we'll, we'll be starting that, the switching classes on Monday, November 2nd, and then we will have a professional development day on the 3rd because of election day. Um, and so we might have an hour or two, maybe, but that's, that's all that we'll have um, for, for training for, those, for that particular uh, situation. Yeah, that's par for the course. I feel like we wasted so much time from March to October 8th, and I feel like we are still burning time and making knee-jerk decisions that are not well thought out and planned. And uh, just thank everybody on the call for, for doing what you do as long as you could, as long as you can. Really appreciate that. Carlos, share with us, you know, your what's going on with you. All right. Well, this is Carlos, and uh, I applied for a medical waiver exemption really early on. My wife, who also works at Austin ISD, um, got one as well, um, and we she got hers like a week before I got mine. It, the The process is pretty painless because I think we we hit before like the big um, the big wave of accommodations that had went through. Um, I had some some other staff members that were thinking they were going to have to go back even though they had medical issues and had the doctor note signed because they said they only had two staff members who were processing requests. So I feel very fortunate as far as being able to, um, you know, get that waiver, but also, um, you know, getting it early. Um, as far as like what's under the control, like I, I have no idea what Austin ISD is like what's under their control and what's not. I feel like the situation, like we're, we're sitting here complaining to like a ghost and everyone's just kind of shirking responsibility and pointing at each other. And they're like, Oh, well it's TEA. Oh, well it's the governor. Oh, well it's, you know, Austin ISD. And we're sitting here asking for answers and we're not really getting anything. Um, like for example, we had a, the meeting the Thursday before the schedule reopening that went to like 3 a.m. And finally they were like, oh yeah, we're going to push the reopen date. And it was like the Thursday before we were actually supposed to start. And so I don't think the district, if they, if they realize they just don't care um, as far as like how we have to adjust to those things. Um, we had to pressure the superintendent to uh, extend the face-to-face -face waiver and she did so reluctantly. And then also she just never like, exercised that right she just kind of she's like, i'll sign it but we're still going back and so um it's it's really frustrating 
the whole process because like i said like what kansas said i feel like everything's really reactionary it's not um we're not being proactive we're being kind of reactive and we're not we're not getting adequate training on things like how we're supposed to switch um it's it's just kind of been like yeah we're going back to -to face-to-face you know coming up soon and i've i've asked questions like well how does that work for me um because I'm at home, does that mean that rosters are switching? Does that mean like I'm gonna have like, you know, there's there's really big implications as far as, you know, who I'm who I'm who what students I'm in charge of, what students I'm responsible for, um, to get them content and to get them you know um, graded and things like that. And it's it's just been really frustrating. And uh, you know, we get people who have kind of whistleblown on some of the moves that the district is making and um they obviously get frustrated and they you know they say oh that th- those things aren't true and then a week or two later we find out no they were 100 percent true and hmm. you know, we're going we're going back to face to face you know and and or so i appreciate the leaks like I, at least we kind of get a heads up but at the same time it's kind of frustrating that we're not getting any kind of transparency from the district as far as like what we're going to do. And then um, one of the more frustrating things is I work at, I work in a campus that is um, it, it's a COVID hotspot. Like I, for lack of a better term, the, the, the infection rate in our area is higher than the rest of Austin. And um, we've asked, well, what does that mean for our campus? Because, you know, the, they say the 9% infection rate is where we're, where we're headed, where we're headed for. And, uh, you know, our infection rate is much higher than other, other areas. So like, do we, do we shut down? Like, is it still like, is it still responsible to open up our campus? Um, knowing that the infection rate's higher in our area than other areas. And it's just kind of the same thing as far as the, same thing I've seen in the past where they look at campuses on the east side or southeast and they just kind of like, well, they'll figure it out. And, um, and this is, this is actually playing with people's lives. Like it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a funding thing or like, you know, the AC is out or things like that, which we've, which we've done and it's very inconvenient. And especially in Texas, you can't have your AC not working. But we've we've survived those things. But this is something that you know it's putting our students and our staff at risk, and we're not getting answers, and we're not being treated as you know as seriously as I think we need to be treated. And so, yeah. As far, yeah. Go ahead, Carlos. My question was real quick: is it sounds like um, you were like you like you mentioned you you acknowledge that you were very fortunate to get that exemption and to get it early on. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you know asking for and getting these accommodations is a medical necessity, and it sounds like it was first come first serve essentially. That's, and then <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it how it is. There was some there was some uh, one, and even the superintendent said it. She said, "Well, like you know, if if." if a high school teacher is the only one who teaches calculus on campus and that person applies for a medical waiver, like we might not give it to them because, you know, they need to learn calculus and it's like, wow, like, okay. So we're really, we're really 
we're really doing this. Like we're not we're not valuing the teacher. We're valuing what they teach. And oof. Yeah, yeah. No, and she she legit said that. Like somebody asked. Wow. Yeah, she legit said like um, if the, the the question was if somebody has cancer, right, and really can't do it. Like really, like really can't. Um. What what steps would we take? And the the superintendent was pretty much like, well, good luck, I guess. Like we're not, you know, we're, we we can't we can't not have that position open because if they're the only person who could teach calculus on that campus, then they're the only person who could do it. So we need to find somebody who can do it face to face. And and so I'm gonna hear from Lori here real quick before, but before we do, because uh, because Lori made a pretty. Um, life-changing decision, but I want to also remind listeners that um, Miss Bianca submitted her application and it was approved, but then they took all your sick days, Bianca? Yeah, so I put in my application by the deadline they had set, but because of the backlog, it didn't get approved until the week after everybody was back to campus. And so that week, while they were working through my accommodation, I was working from home and then after it got approved, they were like, oh yeah, but we still need to take your sick days. So How it's, does that work? They, they, <laughs> just, they just take them. They just, they just delete them from the database. It's just, it's frustrating that something that's a medical necessity is a first come first serve. Then it becomes a lottery. Then it becomes a backlog. Then it becomes, we'll see if there's some another, like, like what Carlos just says, value what you teach instead of the teacher. And then it takes the mm -hmm. sick days and it forces teachers into a situation that I think Lori found herself in Lori, go ahead and, and, and tell us the decision you were forced to make and tell us about that. Well, um, same thing with everybody else, watching the whole COVID theater play out since March and just watching the school district and thinking about our own personal choices. Everybody needs to make their own personal choice. Um, so I did choose to retire, but it's also a protest resignation because I have that ability to make that statement. Um, my husband was like, we've worked way too hard and long in our lives to get to the place we are. Uh, we don't want one of us to, to die or to get chronic health issues the rest of our lives. And when he said, and if you were applying for this job right now with these parameters, would you take this job? And I'm like, no, I would not. So um, for me, it was, time to go as much as I hate to do that. Um, I think nobody's been given any real options. And uh, I think so many teachers don't have the option that I have. And people that like um, Bianca who has kids, you know, they're forced to put their kids in school, even though they don't feel safe and comfortable and it's just not okay. And financially, let's, let's face it, we're all teachers, you know, Financially, it's a, it's a difficulty. There's not a lot of jobs out there, so nobody has options. As far as how I was treated, I have a great admin at my school, so they're very supportive of me. Um, when I sent my notice to my families, they were overwhelmingly supportive. I happen to be in a really good place, um, except for one person who thinks I should be fired from retirement because apparently teachers are slaves who must do whatever the public wills them to do in whatever conditions that we must do it. Um, I think that 
the, the people driving this is the new leadership in AISD. I think administration at different schools, you know, they're, they're making the best decisions they can. Um, I think my administration is doing everything they can to keep everybody as safe as possible. I think that is an impossible task. Um, so I'm very concerned for the staff that are there. I will echo what everybody else said. There was no training for blended learning. We worked really hard on getting virtual up and running and our principal early on said, you guys got to make this work so that we can continue doing this. And then the new administration, district administration came in and put a kibosh on that there were there's no training there's no plans i don't care how many plans and i'm using quotation marks air quotations that they throw out there those are not real plans they put the entire burden on school administration and the teachers to make it work um, in fact we didn't even get official word that everybody we heard about it but that everybody was expected back on campus we'd heard about it but we didn't get an official email about that until september 18th a friday night after 5 p.m so with two weeks left to go we're suddenly told that this is what we have to do i mean there's been no communication from district leadership they've she's never reached out to teachers and said hey hi i'm your new superintendent nothing she does not reach out to teachers. She does not work with teachers. We are clearly an afterthought and staff. I don't want to just keep this to teachers. So um, I think that they have an agenda and the agenda has nothing to do with best practices or good education or safety. Lori, I think I, th I want to thank you for also mentioning staff. We centered our conversation around teachers, and we'd be remiss to bring up we'd be, re we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up all of the other staff and and people that work at schools, uh, the people who drive the bus, people who prepare meals, the people who clean the buildings. Um, uh, you know, Candice, you've heard a story about. Um, uh, teachers coming into their rooms uh, back uh, overnight, you know, they, they, the next morning they come into the rooms and the rooms aren't cleaned because the custodians had to be quarantined because they the were all exposed. Morning staff. Yeah. And no, no phone call overnight, no email or anything. And I don't think that's the man, Lori, I just want to say, amen. I don't think it's the, the campus administrators. They have to follow the lead of central office. And yeah, that did happen. Uh, they came in and they were like, why is nothing been, what's going on? Come to find out that support, we can't operate without support staff, right? And so we depend on them. And that entire staff is quarantined. Many of them that we know are going to be, you know, black, indigenous people of color, right? Uh, and Austin ISD is going to wind up usually being um, uh, our Latinx Hispanic people. And so just them being in the building, doing their jobs, trying to provide for their families, is putting their lives in danger. Lori mentioned um, the lack of leadership from central office, and I just have to echo that. It's been guised as local control, but it's really, you know, hands off. And these emails that come, even to parents, like we're frustrated getting emails at nine o'clock at night. I can only imagine when you're asked to make a major shift or movement and you get such short notice, you know, 
that to, I guess to maybe someone else that might seem as, oh, we're going to put this out and, and then they'll have the information. But I would imagine that to teachers and, you know, teachers, you can chime in on this, that that says, we really care less about you. We're not interested in hearing what you say. So we're going to do it in a manner on a Friday night late where you won't have access to us really. And so the, by the time you do get access to us, we will have, the rules will already be in motion and it's hard to stop a moving train. Exactly. They're doing a lot of it uh, about us without us. And um, a lot of teachers talked uh, here on this conversation talked about um, a lack of time or training to do this kind of new pandemic learning with the remote, with the Zoomers and the rumors and doing everything with uh, re remote platforms, virtual platforms. And so I echo that, that, you know, even as a teacher who I feel very comfortable using technology, it still takes a lot of time to transfer instructional materials to a platform like Blend or Canvas or otherwise. Um, but that that's going to move us into our next topic of what do we want to happen? If 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 we can we can spend all day, I think, um, talking about the um, direction that leadership in education has taken us, and that goes from the highest levels, Donald Trump, Betsy DeVos, all the way down through our local leadership. Even public health officials are falling in line in terms of reopen the schools without regard to safety and actual learning. So Leslie, I'm gonna start with you. What, for our next topic here, what do you want to see happen? What do you want them to do to make this better for us teachers and our students? Yeah, so obviously that's a huge question. And, um, and there's, there's never gonna be a one size fits all answer and there's never gonna be a perfect answer, but someone mentioned it earlier, the fact that teachers have not been involved in any decisions. And that is one of the things that I think needs to happen more than anything is to listen to the teachers, we and the staff. And, you know, we are the ones that are on the front lines every day, uh, trying to put all of these systems into place, trying to teach virtually or teach blended or, you know, be in a room with 15, we are being told by the way, uh, up to 15 kids starting November 2nd in a room um, who are not able to social distance, who are not able to keep their masks on. And, and I teach in middle school and I can't even imagine elementary kids, they might be more compliant, but you know, they're very, they don't understand six feet, you know? Um, and what I would love to see happen is um, teachers having more choice and principals having more autonomy because for the first two weeks we were back, we had 80 students in our building and about 60 adults. And I just think that's ridiculous. Um, there, most adults could have been home or we could have taken turns, um, anything like that, so that you know we could be safe. The fewer people in the building, the more safe. But I would really like to see some kind of a way to have only the students who truly need to be there being up at school. I have seen a couple kids up at school. Um, I've seen them virtually, but they are, they are up at school. And I have seen that they needed this. They really, really needed this. And I'm actually really happy that they are up at school. But the numbers of kids, at least in middle school and high school, who truly need to be in person, um, since they don't need the childcare as much, it's a much smaller number. And we could keep people safe if we had smaller numbers up at our school. I'll be honest, I don't have a great um, idea for elementary. I know it's a completely different situation with the childcare aspect, but in terms of middle school and high school, 
Um, it should not just be, hey, come up to school because you're bored, because you're tired of sitting at home. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> That's not, it's not what we need to be doing right now is just making people, oh, hey, come have fun up at school. Um, and you're putting everyone's lives in danger. The elementary school that feeds into our school and the high school that our school feeds into have had COVID cases. Somehow our school has not yet, but I do believe it's a yet. Um, we're starting sports, which I think should be completely shut down. Um, and I found out that the basketball players, when they were playing in the gym, playing a game, mask wearing is optional. And that blew my mind. So we need to have a lot more safety protocols in place. We need to have teachers being able to work with our principals and the district and, and have our voice heard because we have ideas. And we need to have kids who don't need to be up at school need to be at home. So that's kind of some ideas in a nutshell. I agree 100% Bianca. I think this is a runaway train and we need to put on the brakes and stop and look and really examine what needs to be done. I think there needs to be a huge mind shift. The district seems to compare anything we're doing to a normal school year. This is not a normal school year. There's, it's just not going to work. There's literally no real data. There's no training. There's no plan. We need to start thinking outside the box to come up with innovative solutions. And this is the, this is the misstep, one of the missteps, one of the many missteps that the district took is not asking teachers. Teachers are really good problem solvers and creative problem solvers. We could have come up with some great solutions, but our input was not asked for and definitely not wanted. I agree. I agree with that. Um, yeah. So I, I think what needs to happen is the district just needs to stop undercutting their staff and being like, well, they'll figure it out. Um, there was an email that, um, that went out last week about campuses reopening to parents um, in middle school. And it was insane how like, it was, it was kind of like a, like a pep rally type, like pat, pat themselves on the back. Like we're going back to school like normal y'all like, let's do this. And so the, the, I know that middle school campuses were not told about this email. They were not asked about, you know, Hey, is there any information we should put, put out there? And so the, my campus was like overrun with calls being like, Oh, so we're starting school like normal, you know? And, and my campus is trying to work out a way to like, not, not rotate students instead rotate the, the staff because it would be easier and better to do that. And so to get that email just was completely, yeah, it's gaslighting. It was completely, um, like blew up our plans. We were getting ready. We we're setting up, you know, um, we we're setting up schedules and getting, getting things, getting things going. And then the, and the district just sends this email to parents and doesn't tell any, any campuses that they're doing it. And it's just like, Hey, yeah, we're going back to normal y'all. Like this is it. Um, and I think it's funny too, that they, they pointed to like surrounding districts, um, as a like well you know the the surrounding districts are reopening and they're they're fine like they haven't had any cases or anything like that and then Hayes apparently had to shut some campuses down and it's like well just forget about that we're not 
you know, don't pay attention to that. These are like, not the droids different. you're looking for. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's like, okay, so are we still following their example? Because they're literally like a week ahead of us. They're doing the exact same thing that we're doing like a week before we're, do we're planning on doing it. And so it's like if, if Hayes, who doesn't serve as many students as Austin ISD, is having trouble keeping campuses open, um, what's the issue with us? Like how, how is that going to happen with us? And we still haven't gotten answers about campuses shutting down. We still haven't gotten answers about, um, about what, what the steps we're going to take if there is an outbreak. And I feel like the district has been very like, like with, like with, for example, with the uh, the janitorial staff that had the, the whole morning staff that had to go home, they didn't let anyone know. And I feel like the district is being very like, you need to tell us who, like if somebody has COVID like symptoms, you need to tell us and then we'll figure out who we need to tell instead of being, instead of trying to be open and like have it out you know, have it all out in the open and, and letting people, like, letting everyone know, look, you know, Carlos had COVID symptoms. He was on campus yesterday. If you came in contact with him, protect yourself and your family. Like, I'm not saying call in, but maybe be, be extra careful when you go home so that if you, if you were in contact with me like, and I did have COVID symptoms, that you're not putting your family in danger unwillingly and un, like without knowing what the, the situation is. So, well, we know they can't say the person's name, but I get right. your point exactly, Carlos, is to say, you know, if yesterday you were in the cafeteria at 12:55, if you were in the break room, um, you know, at at B lunch, then we would like you to know that. Exactly, and and. What if I what if I put my name out there? Like, what if the person? Because I I mean I think I would like I'd be like, look, I got sick, you know, uh, I have to go home. I apologize if any of y'all came in contact, you know. But I, it's just really it really hasn't been it hasn't been an open process. They've been very like, you know, keep keep it on the low. Don't tell anyone. And I, I understand you're like you're right. You can't say people's names specifically but at least give some idea of where these people were and who, who you got exactly. in contact with. Right. So that, that way you're not sitting there in the dark and, you know, going to finding visit out your grandma. Yeah, exactly. Going to visit your, yeah. And my, my mother has a heart condition. So like, I can't, like, if I go see her, like, and I'm a, I'm a carrier, that's, you know, that's rough, you know? So just transparency. I think the, the biggest thing would be transparency and like, letting us know the moves you're going to make before you make them so that we have time to react and we have time to do things. And also That's exactly what they don't want. Right. <laughs> right. They, is if we tell you, then you have time to protest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. You have time to show up to the office, the head <laughs> office building and call to call the media exactly. that we don't want that. It's right. very you know? intentional, very on purpose. Yeah. Laura, you wanted to say something about TEA. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I want to say that I'm nodding so much. I'm going to have to, you know, give myself a neck massage when we're done here. Um, so last week at Commissioner's Court, Dr. Escott was uh, pretty clear, and it's in their minutes, that a lot of our problems 
uh, in addition to the district leadership problems are because of TEA's restrictions on funding. And um, even though, and they're going contrary to what the National Academy recommended several months ago. And of course, with the new CDC guidance, which the school district hasn't even reacted to, where you can't be around someone for 15 minutes over a 24 hour period, which seems to me that you shouldn't be in the classroom. But anyway, uh, the, the guidelines said that funding should not be tied to in-person because that may push us to do things that may increase the risk. And that's exactly what AISD is doing because of TEA and because of their own agenda. Um, we, there's no flexibility allowed for a fluid situation. And um, so we need the flexibility and we need them to follow CDC guidelines, which is just not happening because of TEA. So we also need to be uh, reacting to or being act active activists with regard to TEA and that current leadership and um, making some changes there. Yeah, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone in education who understands TEA's commissioner, Mike Morath, and, and his background as a corporate ed reformer. Um, and then, you know, the, the leadership in the state, the governor, the legislative leadership, they've all um, been, when you say you're there against public education, they're going to push back and say, no, we, we want a strong public education system. But then they do things to undercut it. And the pandemic amplifies and magnifies what's already been going on in terms of the push to defund public education. And so these, these marching orders that um, the governor and the TEA commissioner have gotten from the, their political parties and their political you know, superiors has been to reopen. And that's why I think you don't see the flexibility, you don't see the autonomy, and you don't see the agency given to teachers and the time um, given to teachers to make of the, the remote option better. And I'm gonna stop calling it virtual because everybody's virtual. If you're in the room, if you're in yeah. the building, you're still online. Um, it, the difference is remote or in person, right? And and just think about the way like um, uh, Pflugerville named it, a return to learn, which implies that learning wasn't happening to begin with. It may not have been mm -hmm. happening well, but that's mm -hmm. not because of the yeah. fault of teachers. Don't blame that on the teachers. I, I would say teachers have some responsibility in improving their pedagogy and delivering instruction through learning management systems and platforms that are online. And if a teacher wasn't already doing that, again, the pandemic amplifies and magnifies that problem. But teachers are teachers will learn. Teachers can adapt if you give them time and support. And none was given because it's pretty obvious to me that the remote option is being set up to fail. And in situations where they can't set it up to fail, the TEA has given school districts the autonomy to just end the remote option. And you've seen that in schools across the state already where this remote option is ending. So, and you I know, think, the, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I, I think that the uh, recent press that has come out has clearly reflected this agenda that they are trying to make uh, remote not an option anymore. I mean, they've got the article in the Texas Tribune, which is talking about the massive failures of remote learning, which I'm sorry, nobody asked me for my data. Mm. So I don't know where they're getting that information. And, um, you know, and then there was another one recently, which was 
um, where the, you know, the kids that are coming back are just thriving. And it's like, well, no, you know, no kidding. I mean, they're, they're, they're in a small group, but again, where's that data? Like, this is all anecdotal at best from people that you want to hear from. What's really interesting is one of the arguments um, is for, for returning to campus for the students is that they, there are kids that need that support. Well, somebody used an example of their nephew who has autism going back to camp. Like, what is he supposed to do? He has to be on campus. And I said, excuse you, you think your, your, your nephew with autism is going to be okay with keeping a mask on 20, the whole time he's there, sitting in a confined space behind plexiglass, not able to move around or use manipulative, can't touch anything. Like, you really think that that is the best environment for them? And I'm not suggesting that kids are not doing better that need the on-campus, like, quiet environment where they can focus. I'm 100%. That is an issue that we got to problem solve to work through. But this, it, it, it's not even about that anymore. It's all about forcing teachers to comply because like I said, I have coworkers that were forced back on campus and they are in a room completely alone. There's no, there's no other teachers coming in. There's no students there. It's just for optics. It's just in case we have a million kids come back tomorrow. It's just absurd. It's all about compliance. Now, this is Leslie, and I just want to add on to what y'all are saying. Um, having, I, I mentioned it earlier, and Bianca, you just said it, that the kids that need to be there, let's have them be there. Great. Um, but at my school, we, my particular school has a, a very wide range of students of socioeconomic need, um, and we have kids that are there that whose parents demanded they be in a learning pod together, and there were 13 of them which at the, at right now, we were only having our pods be max of 10 students. And um, when we split the, this pod into two separate groups, they still were able to be with their friends. Um, the parents complained to the superintendent, and we, we ended up putting those kids back into a pod together, but just in a bigger space in the library. And the fact that these parents are worried about their kids getting to hang out with their friends right now is infuriating. And the fact that the district is caving into these parents, and this is a small vocal minority of parents, there have been so many supportive parents, and I definitely want to mention that. But the fact that um, there's a, these parents are calling the superintendent every day and emailing and, and telling that they want school back to normal, and they want masks to be optional, and they want us to be switching classes, and they want sports. And I mean, sure, we want all those things if it was safe, but it's not, and we can't have those things. And so where I'm just so frustrated is that we're not able to give the kids who really need to be there that attention because we're catering to these groups that have a lot of pull with the district. I, I wanna reiterate that a safe work environment is not an accommodation. You don't need a doctor's note, you don't need to, you know, have HIPAA violations by your employer demanding all kinds of medical information that they don't need in order to work in a safe environment. It's a right. There's a lot of teachers that are happy to be back because they'd rather be there with the kids and they're making it work because that's what teachers do. Yep. We make it work no matter what the odds. But I also think that's the danger because yeah. they keep adding more and more to our plate 
and yes. they might add it a little bit at a time and then we accept that and then they're just going to pile on more and i think i've said it for years and i used to wear it as a badge of honor and then i realized that it wasn't i used to say mm -hmm. we spin straw into gold yep. but exactly you know right. what happens then then to to extend the analogy then now they keep us at the wheel spinning straw into gold mm. they, they go ahead sorry that's just the gaslighting that that we do to teachers with the memes and the videos and the y'all are heroes but then they don't they don't respect us yep right i think uh the district's concern another thing about um having like a rotating amount of because we like you're right there's only like two or three kids in some rooms some rooms are empty i think their concern is that they're not going to get enough teachers to volunteer to go back but there is like like y'all are saying there is groups of teachers that are excited to be back they don't like working from from like in virtually they enjoy having that face-to-face -face contact so there is there is teachers that were are are going to be willing to go back and i think it's i don't know you're right they just they just have all the teachers reporting on campus just to say that yeah we have everyone on campus especially if they're teaching empty rooms it's just it's ridiculous at some point yeah and there there would be people who are willing to go back if they knew that it would be safe as in if there weren't hundreds of kids back at school like if you knew you were going to have a small group or a way to take a break or a way to you know like there's also people who would be willing even if they're not excited about it you know they would be able to do that they completely tossed out the idea of well they didn't toss it out they never entertained it the idea of having virtual teachers teach virtual kid, kids virtually yeah um or remotely remote teachers teach students that are remote and in-person teachers teach students who were in person. That was one idea that got no traction. Another idea that got no traction was what I'm going for. And you know, maybe there's an, an AP somewhere that hates me now, but I'm saying scrap the whole thing. Take the master schedule and toss it out. I know how hard it is to write a master schedule. I have a principal certification. Now, have I ever done one? No, but I've seen it done and you can do it well. And if they had given us till January, teachers could rotate, right? So mm -hmm. my eighth period science class is sitting there, but that's also your eighth period, your eighth grade English class, which is also your eighth grade math class. That's what we're doing on our campus. You guys there's are doing that? Yeah, there's a rotation of four like core teachers, history, science, social studies, math. So you guys, or, then it can yep. be done. Yeah, it can. It definitely can be done. Uh, we had our admin, who's like, she's a whiz at making master schedules. She got the rosters for each kid and made sure that they have all their, all four of their core teachers that are wrote the and the teachers are rotating to the rooms. Yeah, I think I think you're speaking to uh, a tension that no one wants to talk about, which is that schools, public schools, have been public spaces accessible to everyone at any time for the most part especially for those with the most power and privilege that vocal minority that is using their influence to do the kind of awful things that you've just described and so to me when you are trying to reopen schools and trying to prioritize those who need the face-to-face -face person the most you 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 become you you run up against that tension where you have to tell people with a lot of power and privilege who are used to having 100% access to that public space, that public school, no. And, and 
the superintendent is not the only person who fails to be able to do that. All up and down our systems and our institutions, leaders always seem to cave to the most powerful and privileged, and no one seems to be able to tell them, no, your child, while, they, while you might think of them as a need to be in person, face-to-face, -face, and socially interact with their friends, that need is not superseding the need of these other students who may not have their basic needs met, may have, their families may have childcare needs. They may have instructional needs that go beyond um, socializing with their friends and we need to bring them in. So when, when, when the, the inability of leaders to say no to people with power and privilege is only amplified and magnified in this pandemic. And that's what's making reopening with equity difficult because if you're gonna prioritize those who need the face-to-face -face most, you're gonna have to say no to people who have power and privilege and usually get their way. Um, and and it, like, it cannot be one size fits all like it used to be. Um, and so I, I really appreciate everybody's, everybody's conversation here. I wanna move us to our last topic of where we give the hosts the floor. And I wanna start with Carlos. What, what, is it, what is something important about education that you wanna speak about um, that, that you wanna say right now on this platform? Okay, yeah. So um, I think that COVID has really um, shown, like it brought to the forefront a lot of the disparities between, um, you know, the haves and have nots. And I think it's important to, I think the district, this is a, this is a turning point for the district and they really need to start acknowledging some of the issues that, um, that come from neglecting the east side of Austin. And they really do start, they, they really do need to start looking at the campus as, not, not as a whole, but as like different pockets of areas that need different things at different points. And um, COVID being one of them, but you know, that, that doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Um, so, as a, as a student of Austin ISD, as a teacher of Austin ISD, I've seen I've seen the disparities and the the issues that have come up, and I think that it's just something that we we needs to really needs to be addressed. And we don't have the vocal parents. We don't have. Um, we do have some very vocal parents, but we don't have you know the the pool that some other campuses have. And I feel like if if Austin really wants to be progressive and start talking the talk or start walking the walk instead of just talking the talk, they need to start acknowledging that they've failed some of these Eastside campuses. And, and we so, just- Car Carlos, it sounds like you're talking about like a tale of two different districts. Yes, right? definitely. Yes. Yeah. And so from your experience, what is that as a, as a student, and, and then now as a teacher, what does that, what does that look like that, or what is it that you want the district to do about it? Um, I, I guess basically be proactive instead, instead of waiting for an area to get gentrified to start making improvements on campuses. Mm. So um, start looking at campuses and um, indiv like individual schools and start giving them what they need. I, when, they I, when they need it, right, when they need it. Um, I worked at, um, at a campus, when I was working at Martin, um, 
we had uh, we had a very hardworking staff, and it was we were doing everything we needed to do in order to pass the star. And then the district came in and kind of took over the campus, and um, it was night and day between when the district came in and took over the campus and when the they had a they had an autonomous principal who wasn't tied to the district. Um, there was there was an issue with my I, I didn't have a whiteboard in my room, and when um, I had requested a whiteboard. And my, my old principal was like, look, I called the district myself. They're not doing it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a problem. And as soon as the district took it over, I asked for a whiteboard and I got it a week, like a week before, like I, it was literally, they were there the next day. And mm -hmm. so why couldn't that happen before? Right. And another thing was like support staff. We had, um, we had an increase in support staff um, that were specialists in helping, um, you know, pass the star test that should have happened before with the, with the original principal, it shouldn't take the district to come in and like, you know, uh, it, I feel like it was a, it was a big show to be like, yeah, we, we, uh, like we came in and made this difference when like we were that, that should have happened a lot, a long time before it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have taken the district to come in and and push their own agenda and to kind of flex like their thing like oh they, like we have all the people that could do it the people that would the people that did it were there already it's just we weren't getting the services we needed until there was somebody from district like there um to request it thank you carlos Lori, what what would you like to speak on well actually i'd kind of like to piggyback off what carlos was saying um when I first came to Austin, and I said, as I said, my most of my career had been in Title I schools. So when I first came to Austin, I was kind of shocked by the inequities when I arrived at a Title I school here, and um, and the segregation, and it was it was alarming. And so I tried to work with that for a while. Finally, gave up, um, unfortunately. But I think that we need to remember that fair isn't always equal and that the kids that need the support at this time it's it's not going to be equal it's not going to be everybody's kids just like i'm not sure who was saying it <laughs> bianca or leslie um where those parents that are the loudest are getting what they need the parents need or think they need and the kids that really need the help and support and the families that need the help and support are getting shoved to the side and the, the entire spectrum is gonna result in just poor education across the board because we can't do everything for everybody. I think this is an opportunity for us to redefine education for this century instead of the 19th century. We need, that's why I said we need to put on the brakes and we need to look at what we're doing and we need to redefine what needs to be doing, what we need to be doing to meet the needs of the kids and the community that we're working with. And we do have limited resources. Thank you, state and TEA. So we still have to work within those limited resources, but we can redefine what we're doing if we use the power of the people and the teachers and the staff that know what to do instead of it just being mandated. 
Yeah, this is Leslie. Thank you, Lori. I building off of your the power of the people. I mean, um, probably a lot of people have voted already, but that's going to be something that we really need to be doing. Um, and one of the races that's so important to this this cause is the um, school board elections, and they're not partisan. So Education Austin, the teachers union, has endorsed four candidates. So I highly encourage anyone to look into that. Um, because those can make a huge difference in, in what's going on in our schools. But um, I kind of want to spin it into something a little bit positive at this point and, and just talk about that, um, the positives, the things that have come out of this, you know, there, we've said that things have been amplified and they have, but that can also amplify the positives. And um, one thing for me is that I've realized that school is, is much more than a building. Um, we're able to have school, we're able to have community, we're able to have connections, even when we're not in person. Um, my school right now has 80% of kids still virtual. And I feel like I'm building relationships with those kids. I'm getting to know them. I'm actually getting to know kids that I don't think I would have gotten to know as well um, virtually because they have a way to speak up for themselves without putting themselves kind of out there as much by sending me a private message in chat or an email and I'm able to check in with them better. Um, so, you know, teachers are learning technology. Kids are learning technology and digital citizenship. Kids are emailing their teachers with respectful, thoughtful messages. I mean, there's some great things that are happening. And if we could really put our efforts into that, we could see even more wonderful things. And I would love to be able to do that, but it's just not gonna be possible if we're pulled in multiple directions, trying to do two jobs at once, you know, worried about our health and safety. So I think there is a positive here. I think there is a bright side um, and we need to just try and move forward with those things and, and listen to our teachers so that we can make the changes that we need to make and make things better, safer, more effective for our students, families, and our whole community. Uh, hi, this is Bianca. Um, that is a great segue into to my thoughts in this whole thing. When this this hit over the summer, I was so excited because, you know, as a Latina young woman filled with just generations of ancestral age, and to see the system crumbling right before me, I said, "Oh my God, what a beautiful opportunity! Finally, finally, we can we can redo this and make it." better for people and you know the the time is now to finally put action to what this district and what these teachers want to do and make this a system that is more equitable for our students and our community this is the perfect time because those that are in power are, are not really looking <laughs> we all have an opportunity here to like i have given two tests that i got to write for my students Usually it's given to me by the district and they're all star questions, but my grades are improving immensely because I can run my classroom how I know is going to be more equitable for my students and all of the needs that they have. Um, and I really just teachers are on board with this idea of reinventing what we consider a normal situation but we need the support of admin we need the support of district because otherwise we're just butting heads the entire school year and people are resigning and people are not getting paid but really now is the time for principals to be empowered 
that if they support their staff and do the right thing and not just follow guidelines, that their staff is going to have their back. And unfortunately, my principal, her response was, well, how do I know that? I don't have any guarantees that about that. And I said, well, that is just the faith that you have to put into your own staff that you hired. We're supposed to be a family. And I'm telling you right now that if you do this, if you support us and stop with the excuse of this is just my job, I'm just doing my job, we can actually do something good for our community right now. But instead, we're just going along to get along. And, you know, it's, it's going to be the same thing as it always has been. And, and I, love, I love waking up every morning and knowing that I'm going to upset somebody in power today. It's just, it's, I feel like I was born for such a time as this. Like, I feel like this is my time to shine and let this system burn to the ground so we can build something beautiful on fertile new ground. Well said. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with us learning more about education. And as always, stay tuned for our hot take on the latest education news and our reflection on our work. We'd love to hear from you about our podcast. You can find us across all social media and podcast platforms at AISDXC. To support the work we do, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash AISDXP. To invite others into the conversation, please remember to like, follow, and share.